Good morning, everyone. Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, welcome to 2023. Uh, um, also, today is January 6th, 2023, uh, which is the first episode of 2023. I hope all of you had a really good holiday season and everyone's got all their fingers and all that from fireworks and i just hope you had a good time with your families um, over the past couple weeks um we are ready to get back into streaming um, we have a lot of cool stuff planned for this year especially this month um, but we're glad to be back and thank you all for joining us once again um, for another episode of the what's up webcast um Real quick, if you want some What's Up webcast swag, you can go over to the skywatcher.threadless.com uh, store. We've got all kinds of cool stuff there. If you want to grab some of it, wear something that matches your, your gear. Um, but yeah, um, that's up there right now and it's available. So go ahead and check that out if you're looking for something cool to go with your Skywatcher products. Uh, so, uh, like I've said before, it is the first of the year, which means we are jumping into what's up for the month. Um, we are going to be talking about the new totem target today. Uh, we do have tons of stuff in stock. If you're looking for something to spend your holiday money on, uh, maybe you've already got it. Um, but we have all kinds of items in stock right now from refractors to mounts. Uh, you kind of name it. We've got it probably. Um, and you can order either through your favorite dealer or directly from the SkywatcherUSA.com website, uh, which is SkywatcherUSA.com. All right. So um, if you like what you see here at the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video. It lets us know we're doing a good job and that we should keep doing this. Uh, if you have any ideas for a future What's Up webcast episode, especially being the first part of the year, um, this is something that we're always looking for. Uh, you can email us at info at skywatchusa.com and title it What's Up um, to let us know uh, what your idea is for a future episode. Um, if you want to stay informed with what's going on, either through Skywatcher's email blast or what's going on in the What's Up webcast, you can go to skywatchusa.com. Up at the top, hit the subscribe and save button, um, fill out your email, and then you'll be a part of the email blast that lets you know about new products. Uh, sales, monthly uh, email blast, of course, the weekly uh, What's Up webcast topic and the links to that. All right, let's get started. So the brightest object in the nighttime sky, of course, is the moon. And uh, I'm sure you've been outside and seeing it lately. It's been rather bright. Um, the new moon for the month is January 21st, uh, which is going to mean that your dark sky weekend actually lands right on the weekend. Uh, the 21st and the 22nd is going to be your new moon weekend, um, which is perfect. So go out, enjoy some dark skies because um, that lands right on the weekend. But yeah, um, the 21st uh, is going to be our new moon. And then, of course, the 21st and 22nd is going to be the new moon weekend. Uh, full moon is actually today. So, uh, which is the 6th of January. Uh, so it's going to be big and bright tonight, which it was probably big and bright last night. You probably saw, but tonight officially is the full moon and the full moon for January is called the wolf moon. Um, which is common to find wolves howling this time of year. Obviously wolves howl for all kinds of reasons, but that is the main, um, name for the moon. There is all kinds of names, um, for each full moon and you can go over to farmer's almanac to learn about all the different folklore and names of each full moon and why they are named that but it's kind of cool it's a great outreach tool if you're doing events you want to teach people about the moon you can tell them about what the full moon name is for the month while you're out and about okay so that's the moon it's bright it's visible it's up right now so go ahead out and uh, check that out as far as planets go uh we have all kinds of stuff happening right now in the world of the planets um, i'm gonna bring up stellarium this is a free uh program you can get online um it's actually very nice you can do some telescope control with it uh, once you know how to set all of it up but stellarium is a really nice uh, application that you can download onto your computer I think even on your phone now uh, it's probably been that way for a while but um yeah so 
As far as planets go, uh, we have gained Venus in the evening sky. Um, it's rising in the west. Um, it's it's pretty much a gibbous phase, so it's very brightly illuminated. I think it's really cool when we get the crescents, uh, but right now it's very, very brightly illuminated. You'll probably catch that low in the western sky um, just after sunset, um, and that should be getting... Uh, let's see. Can't see everything. There we go. Uh, whoops. Pause. There we go. Uh, where's my date and time? There it is. Um, as the month progresses, Venus is going to start getting higher and higher. And then right here on the 21st of January, let's see if this gets a little right. There we go. Uh, on the 21st of January, 22nd of January, these two, I believe, are going to be less than a degree apart. You'll have uh, Venus and Saturn low in the western sky. Um, that'll be kind of a cool uh, opposition. Uh, or Yeah, not opposition. But that'll be a cool uh, sequence to go out there and check out. And that is going to be on the evening of the 22nd of January. Um, Venus and Saturn are going to be very, very close together. You can probably get them in the same field of view. It'll be a cool photo op. So go head out there and check that out. And then, of course, uh, we don't really have any like lunar, close lunar calls with those two down there. It's either the 21st or the 20, 22nd or 23rd. Um, you'll have a really nice little crescent moon hanging out there on the 23rd where you get them all together if you're looking for something cool. Um, as far as Jupiter and the moon, we have a, a nice close uh, conjunction. That's the term I was looking for. Um, it's a conjunction on the 22nd where Venus and Saturn. And then there's a pretty close one on Ju with Jupiter and the moon on the 25th. Um, so that's going to be kind of cool there. And then Mars uh, has a really close conjunction on the 30th. And this actually reminds me. Um, Mars, at least uh, for a small portion of, I believe, uh, the southern portion of the United States um, will actually, in other areas, you have to look it up for your particular area, um, but Mars is going to be um, occulted once again by the moon um, on the 30th of January. Um, it just depends where you're going to be, but you can see right there, that's going to be pretty cool. But you're going to want to check where you're at because it's visible for a very small section of the U.S. Um, here, I don't think it gets very far north. Um, anyway, double check it. But on the 30th, you'll have an occultation of Mars for certain parts of the country. Um, so that'll be kind of cool as well. Um, anyway, going back to the planets. Do, 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 do. So we have Venus up right now. Uh, we do have Saturn visible, but we are starting to lose uh, Saturn. What am I doing? There we go. Uh, wrong side of the sky. There. Where's heck is west? There we go. Um, so yeah, we have Venus. Venus is in the early evening. Then we have Saturn. Saturn's going to be pretty much gone by the end of the month. So this is kind of your last little bit of time to get Saturn. Um, and then we do have Neptune. Neptune's still hanging out up there. It's a bit of a challenge. Well, that's not Neptune. It's close enough. There's Neptune. Boop. Right there. Um, so we have Venus early on. Then we have Saturn. And we lose those two early in the evening, although Venus is starting to rise. Uh, then we have Neptune, followed by Jupiter. Jupiter's obviously naked eye visible. We'll have Jupiter in a nice spot for pretty much the rest of the month, and we'll start to lose it into February. Um, Uranus is still hanging out really nice and high, which is a fun one to go after, especially if you just got your first telescope for the holidays. Um, you know, it is way out there, but it's a cool one to see because it's not really part of the major naked eye planets, unless you're in super dark skies and know what you're looking for. Um, you can't see it naked eye. And then, uh, but it's a fun one to use your telescope on. And then, of course, Mars is up right now. Um, we are past its closest approach at this point, so it's moving away from us. This year hasn't really been anything mind-boggling with Mars, but with a decent amount of magnification and any small telescope, you should be able to see some dark detail. And it's, le it's at least a cool thing to go out and see the red planet. 
Um, so Mars is up there as well. Uh, so we have quite the collection of the planets right now. You can pretty much go out and observe almost the entire solar system in one evening if you wanted to. Um, so go out, give that a shot. They're all nice and aligned right now. Um, you can start with Venus, then go to Saturn. Um, so you go Venus, Saturn, Neptune, Neptune, yeah, Neptune, Jupiter, Uranus, and then wrap up with Mars. And there's your solar system tour. You're pretty much just missing Mercury um, at that point, which is kind of a, a difficult one to get at times. But anyway, that's what's up right now. That's what's going on with the planets. It's a good time to get out and observe them and make sure you get out and grab Saturn because we're about to lose it uh, until later uh, this year. Uh, although the rest of the planets are still uh, viable for a little bit. The sun. Um, the sun's really starting to kick up so much that uh, well, while we were on our little break, I was able to get out and do some solar imaging. This is with uh, an EvoStar 80 and uh, my Daystar uh, filter. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but the activity on the sun is slowly increasing um, and it's been, get, been, get, been getting better and better. Um, make sure you are observing the sun with the proper filters. Uh, we have multiple episodes on how to observe the sun safely, and that's going to come into real play um, over the next uh, year and a half because this year in October we have a... Um, it's going to be a partial eclipse for a lot of the country, but it is technically a... Um, gosh, I cannot think about it today. Anyway, we have a solar eclipse uh, here in North America um, in October, which will be visible pretty much through the entire continent. And then, of course, in 2024 in April, we have the total solar eclipse. So understanding the sun is going to be a big deal um, over the next year and a half or so. Um, but it's worth keeping an eye on things. It's fun to go out and sketch it. If you want to see what's going on, I recommend we can get rid of this. But, but there we go. Um, this is the current uh, what's going on. The sun this is from Chile. Uh, there's some very nice active regions up there. We just had an X-class flare go off an annular eclipse. Yes, thank you, Ernie. Um, an annular eclipse is what's happening this year. Uh, we had an X 1.2 class flare go off uh, late yesterday, which is crazy powerful. X class flares are the most powerful um, uh, events that occur on the sun um, as far as a flare goes. But uh, there's a lot of activity going on in the sun right now. There's some prominences going off. Uh, looks like a really large detached one over here. There's some nice filaments. So if you have a hydrogen alpha telescope or solar telescope, solar filter, um, a solar H-alpha filter, there's a lot going on there. And if you just have a white light filter, there's still some nice sunspots and regions to go out and look. So the sun is really starting to do a lot of stuff. And if you've got the equipment to do it safely, I highly recommend getting out there um, and getting, getting some views of it. And if you don't know what you want or you're still trying to prepare for the eclipse, I wouldn't wait too much longer because demand for solar um, equipment is going to start skyrocketing over the next several months, especially as we get closer to October. So if there's something you've had your eye on, whether it's like a Daystar or a Lunt or eclipse glasses or a solar filter, whatever the heck it is, if something to do with the sun or traveling for an eclipse, I would make sure you're really thinking about obtaining that equipment sooner rather than later because um, it's going to get really crazy the closer we get to October 14th, which is the uh, annular eclipse for this year. And then several months after April of 2024, it's like a double back-to-back -back eclipses. It's going to be crazy, crazy this year. Um so don't wait if you have your eye on something. So anyway, that's the sun. Get out there. Take a look at it. There's always something cool going on. But the activity right now is actually very nice, um, and it changes all the time. So it's really fun to do, especially if you have a hydrogen alpha a solar filter or solar telescope. Uh, meteor showers. Uh, right now we are in the middle of one. It's the quadrant meteor showers. Uh, the peak just passed. Um, but you're still able to go out and observe it if you can. It's about 25 meteors per hour. However, we are at full moon right now, so that makes it really kind of difficult to get the most out of a meteor shower, unfortunately, because of the moon phases. But that is the meteor shower for the month, um, is the quadrant uh, meteor showers. Um, and 
we're just past the peak on that. Comets. Uh, so there's always something to do with comets up there. Um, if you want to know what's going on, I go to cometchasing.skyhound.com. It lists all the major ones. However, we finally have something nice up here um, that's not just some faint fuzzball floating around, and that is Comet C2022E3ZTF. Um, this is a morning comet right now. Um, it's in Corona Borealis, which is not far from the constellation of Hercules. It's right next door. Um, but right now, it's just outside naked eye visibility at like magnitude 7.7. .7, so it's just about just under eighth magnitude. Um, but it is supposed to brighten um, to naked eye visibility in the early morning in the late January uh, time. But you can go to the finder chart there and check it out. Um, so right now it's in Corona Borealis, but as it brightens up, it's going to start moving up into the pole, um, into Ursa Minor. Um, by the end of the month, it'll be up near the North Celestial Pole. Um, but yeah, so this comet's going to be a very cool one uh, to keep an eye out on. So make sure you are prepared for that. Um, I've seen very nice images uh, coming from various astrophotographers already. Um, that are getting up in the early morning hours. You really don't need a whole heck of a lot to get some of these comets. You know, a nice telephoto lens does a good job. Um, but go out and give that a go. Um, but yeah, towards the end of the month, it's supposed to be bright enough to really uh, start to see naked eye. So I'm going to have to go out once the weather decides to cooperate. Um, that would be great. So I can go out and check it out because I have not seen it yet. But I highly recommend you do that. Um, that's Comet C2022E3. Um, that is the, the big comet right now that's going to be visible. There are some other stuff up there right now, but a lot of them are all, you know, telescopic. Um, so, uh, let's see. For photographing a comet, should you guide on the comet or the stars? Um, you know, it's a good question. Some mounts you can actually... I think it depends on the exposure time. Um, I've never auto-guided on a comet. Um, usually I'm just shooting the star field very, very quickly. Um, the last time, let me see if I can find this very quickly. Um, the last time I shot a comet I was happy with. Uh, why is this not coming up? Oh, that's why. Um, let me see if I can find this really quick. Uh, my old comet uh shot that i am uh happy with it was been a while uh the last comet that was i really took a swing at um i didn't auto guide on it i just shot the star field um i kind of did it as an experiment um save image hold on just a sec i should just have this ready to go but i don't have everything this was my last comet shot uh, this was Comet C2021A1 Leonard. Um, this was back in December 2021. A lot of you probably uh, remember it. Uh, this is when it passed M3. Um, so what I did on this one um, is these are 10 two-minute exposures. So bin 2x2. Two two. This is with the Esprit 150 at the remote observatory. But what I find is you really just want to shoot quick this is where those fast optics um, can really come in handy because you get more detail in less time because the comet is moving um, this is a uh, this was an experiment uh, image um, with this so I'll tell you how this was done because it was kind of a unique thing some of you know that I at times like to image with two telescopes um, in our remote observatory at skies away remote there's our telescope, which is the Esprit 150, which is a ZWO 6200 monochrome and a big filter wheel all mounted to it. And then in the same observatory, we have a friend of ours who has a duplicate setup with an Esprit 150 and a one-shot color 6200. So we have two Esprit 150s, two ZWO 6200s, one's mono, one's color. Um, what I've done in the past with my images is shot luminance with the monochrome and color with the color camera and basically apply the luminance channel over the color data. And it makes it go a lot faster. 
which is a really cool thing to do. However, you have to have two duplicate setups and two different cameras. So I understand that's not something everyone can do all the time. Although I have seen people do it before, but I wanted to experiment with how that would work on a comet because the comets are moving in the star field. And that's the hard part is you got to process it to where the stars aren't blurred, but you don't want the comet to be blurred too. So basically what I did here is an experiment that came out way better than I thought it would was I had both telescopes shooting the same target simultaneously. Um, so I was doing luminance with one telescope and color at the same time with another telescope. And they're only like six feet apart from each other. So it's kind of like an array, um, if you will. Um, so this is 40 minutes of data shot in 20 minutes. So 20 minutes of movement with 40 minutes of total data. It's kind of like contact. Why well, have two First rule of government spending, why have one when you can have two at twice the price? Um, I understand a lot of people don't have this capability, but it was just an experiment of how well it would work. Of course, we did have some high haze, so there's some weird artifacts in the image, but it came out really good. I was really pleased with how it, how it worked. Um, but that's how that worked with me. But anyway, I don't guide on the comet. I just shoot the star field and I just keep the exposures quick and to the point. And that's pretty much how I've done it in the past. I've only been able to do this experiment once um, because it does take a lot of work to get both telescopes to play nice and run both of them and make sure the sequences are running together and it's a lot of work. But anyway, um, go out there, give it a go. Um, there's some really nice images coming up there, but I hope everyone can get out and uh, take a, a whack at it and see... Um, how that works so uh, you don't need to do a lot of exposure for comets they're generally bright you can do a lot of detail very quickly um, so yeah because if you shoot too long the comet's gonna blur in your exposures because the comets moving through the star field so generally you want your exposures to stay short so the comet is isolated and then you can go in and stack it and it will blur. I've seen some stacking softwares that can stack the comet plus the stars. I've never had that turn out very well. Some people are a master at it, like Damien Peach, but he's a master at just everything. Um, I have not figured out that processing technique yet. So anyway, uh, give that a go. Uh, let's see. With an unmodified DSLR on a star tracker, unguided with 30 second exposures be okay? Probably. Wait unguided oh on a star tracker yes probably you'd probably be fine there uh the nice thing about comets is a lot of times they're generally that greenish color because of the cyanogen that's inside the comet and the nice thing about most unmodified cameras is their filter allows green and those bluish colors to come through a lot better than say like red so that's a lot of times why we have modified SLRs or cameras to allow those fainter reds to come through and pop like you would a dedicated camera where if you're shooting a comet, an unmodified camera does probably okay because the filter that's generally mounted in an unmodified camera actually passes a fair amount of color and light uh, through it at those wavelengths like where cyanogen is, which is how the comets get that greeny color. So even an unmodified camera should do okay. You should be able to at least detect it. Um, but if you want to get a really nice thing, uh, you probably have to stack a few images there. But the exposures are going to be relatively quick. Um, you could use a light pollution filter on that. Um, you just have to experiment with it. Um, comets are a little bit more forgiving than, say, like a deep sky target in the fact that you don't need a lot of exposure, nor do you want it because it's going to blur, but you still want enough to bring out the signal in the comet. And, of course, dark skies will always help with that. Uh, so good luck. Your mileage may vary on that. Um, but I look forward to seeing. If you get something cool, go post it on social media and tag us on it. We'd love to see what you guys get. Um, but yeah, by the end of the month, we should be getting some pretty cool stuff out of that. But good luck with it. All right, deep sky targets. Um, obviously, the big staple right now is M42. Um, this is 1,500 light years away. It's honestly the easiest uh, nebula in the nighttime sky to observe and photograph. 
every single person should be out there on their new telescope to observe this nebula because it's something you can do in town. It's a really cool uh, nebula to test various filters on. It looks great with a UHC filter. It looks nice with an O3 filter. It looks really unique with an H beta filter because that brings out different detail. Um, if you have the ability to throw night vision on it, it's insane. Um, but you don't need really anything fancy to at least glimpse uh, the nebula. Um, it's also a fantastic target to image um, because it works well in color. It works good in narrow band. You can shoot in dark skies. You can shoot in light polluted skies. It's just big, bright, and easy in certain ways. But this nebula is also difficult in its own ways as well because one of the shortcomings for M42 is while it's easy to get the nebula, a lot of times you end up overexposing and blowing out the core of the nebula. Um, especially if you want to bring out all this faint uh, detail that you see in here. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how this image was done because it was done very similar to the comet where I shot luminance, then I shot color. Um, but uh, what a lot of people tend to learn with M42 is you can shoot long to get all the faint little nebulosity tidbits that are in the nebula, but then you blow out the core. So then you have to shoot shorter exposure so the core is not blown out and what this is going to start to teach you is how to kind of mesh and overlay certain images on top of other ones not stacking because you're still stacking them but you have to overlay and blend shorter exposures into the longer exposures to make it look more natural and how you're trying to get it to look so the core on this shot was a bunch of like one minute exposures that were dialed down and then that was very tediously woven into longer five or ten minute exposures to bring out the fainter uh, details in the nebula. Now there was luminance on this and then I also did the one shot color and applied the luminance over that but then one up on that was there was also hydrogen alpha that was shot using the monochrome camera and that brings out a lot of the structure and the really faint dust um, and gases in the background but then you have to kind of weave the hydrogen alpha detail um, and uh, data into the color set without offsetting the color too much too. So it's kind of an interesting thing to do um, and it's a bit of a process, but um, it's one of my, personally, I think it's one of my best images. Um, but M42 is the easiest nebula to go out there and see, but if you're imaging it, it can also be very difficult because it teaches you how to start blending uh, different exposures together. Whoops. Now, completely vice versa from M42 is IC434, also known as the Horsehead Nebula, which is right next door, um, about 1,300 light years away. This nebula is one of the most difficult nebulas to see. Obviously, there are more fainter nebulas out there, but I would probably say that the Horsehead Nebula is probably one of the most difficult yet most famous nebulas in the nighttime sky. Um, it graces the front of books. It's all over the internet. Um, it's a really easy target photographically. You can do it in town. You can do it in a dark sky. You can do it narrow band. You can do it in color. Um, very easy target to photograph. The visual experience is very, very different because of it being a very deep hydrogen um, region. Um, so the horse head is quite a challenge visually. You can usually get it in about an eight to 10 inch telescope, but dark skies are really where you need to be, especially if the um, constellation is very high in the sky, you want good uh, contrast um, and good transparency. So you can actually see where that faint nebula is moving. Um, the trick uh, to the horse head is really the H beta filter. Uh, that's really what's going to help you see. You can squeak by with a UHC filter. It's going to be invisible in O3. Um, so if you're trying to get the horse head visually, I'd probably recommend an 8 to 10 inch telescope, very dark skies with an H beta filter. And the larger the telescope you can get, the better and easier it is uh, to see. Um, when you start to get to the 20 plus inch telescopes, you can start to make out where the horse head is without the adi uh, addition of a filter. The filter makes it really easy and then it gets really crazy um, if you throw night vision on it because it's just plain as day at that point. Um, but that's the Horsehead Nebula. 
Uh, this is a really one of my favorite, if not one of my favorite objects in the nighttime sky, just because it's, I, it's such a statement uh, nebula. And then of course you have the flame nebula there, which is very easy to see um, even in a basic telescope. But the horse head is the challenge of the targets um, there. But go ahead, give it a go. Uh, next up, you know, one of the easiest ones in the sky is M45, the Pleiades cluster. This is in the constellation of Taurus, uh, 500 light years away. It really looks nice in any size telescope. Binoculars, it looks good. Small refractors, uh, bigger telescopes. Obviously, the longer the focal length, the less and less of the neb or the less and less of the uh, cluster that you're going to be able to fit in one field of view. Um, but it does look nice even in small optics. You can really do it in any location, um, imaging-wise. Uh, however, with filters, there's no filters that really help bring out a reflection nebula like what you see the Pleiades being a part of. There's just nothing out there that it's um, intended that brings that out. So reflection nebulas do require dark skies. Light pollution filters, I guess, could help pop and reduce any background glow from the light pollution. But there's no filter that's really ideal to bring out a reflection nebula like, you know, H-alpha filters. They're made to pass those emission targets. Um, but there's nothing that really pops a reflection nebula. So filters are not going to help you here very much. Um, a challenging galaxy that's up right now um, is NGC 891. This is in Andromeda. It's 27 million light years away. It's a really nice edge-on galaxy. Um, large aperture very much helps on this guy. Um, you're probably looking at somewhere between 10 inch and larger. However, it is relatively faint and you can easily run over it through the star field that it's in without paying much attention to it. So I would really recommend, um, that if you are looking for this galaxy to very much take your time, um, cause there, there has been times where I have passed it. Uh, because it is relatively faint. You want to go slow. Once you've got it, it's it's really kind of cool. It looks like a starship um, just gliding through the star field. Like something from Star Wars or something like that. Um, but it does, you can drive over this pretty easily. Obviously, GoTo will help get you in the field so you can just look for it. But if you're manually trying to find it, um, it can be a bit of a challenge. Uh, Imaging-wise, it's like any other galaxy. It's doable in town. It's doable in dark skies. But it, you know, there's just time is all you can really do with this thing. Uh, there's no filter that's really going to help other than just generic light pollution filters to knock down any of the glare. The nice thing about this particular galaxy is it doesn't have a lot of faint uh, halos or, you know, anything like that uh, that's being pulled from it. So it's really kind of secured in its own framework, if you will. Um, so you can get away with it here in, uh, light polluted skies from the backyard and still probably get a nice shot from it. But that's NGC 891. It's a very nice edge on galaxy. Uh, NGC 1499. This is the California nebula. This is in Perseus about a thousand light years away. Um, let's see. Can you tell us the magnitude of each celestial object? I could put that in, in the future. If you guys want to know, if not, you can look it up online, but I don't have that data, um, in front of me at the moment, although it's pretty easy to, to locate it on a Google search, or if you have any of the basic astronomy apps, it'll give you the magnitude, um, of each of these. But in the future, I could put magnitude, uh, readings for each target. If you prefer, uh, let us know. Um, so California Nebulus is in Perseus, not far from the Pleiades. Um, this does take darker skies. It is a large H2 region. So H beta filters, a UHC would also help, but H beta filters are good. Um, you can actually, this thing's big. Um, it has, it takes up a, a decent chunk of sky. So, uh, wide field optics are very helpful. Uh, one of the best views I think I've ever had of it was with a Teleview TV 101 and an H beta filter with a low power eyepiece. And it, it takes about a few degrees of the sky. So it's nice um, if you can get to dark skies when it's nice and high in the sky to visually see it. But it 
looks like the state of California. It's kind of cool. Um, as far as imaging goes, it's a hydrogen alpha cloud um, or the hydrogen cloud. So H alpha filters work really well. Um, this I shot in my backyard with, I don't even remember what H alpha filter. I think it was like a seven nanometer or something like that with a Canon um, 200 millimeter F 2.8 lens and a big monochrome camera. And it's easy, plain as day to get it. It's not a difficult target when you're starting to do narrow band work with one. And um, if you want to do a color, um, it does have some diffuse uh, additions to it. And it does kind of trail off quite a bit in both directions. So it's something that you may want to go out and definitely bring back those narrow band filters to go after it. But if you're doing like a one shot color, dark skies is really kind of what you're going to want for that. Um, but it's an easy target to go after, um, but it is a large target. So you're going to need wide field optics to really get the entire chunk of it. But there is some cool little details inside of there. But that's NGC 1499 or the California Nebula. There's another shot of it. So um m1 the crab nebula this is a cool one um this is up in taurus and the horns um about 6500 light years away this is a supernova remnant uh you can see it in light polluted skies it looks like a little fuzzy puffball in the star field there's not a heck of a lot to it um darker skies again it's a easier to see puffball there's not a lot of interesting things to M1 visually unless you've got some serious aperture backing you up. And I'm talking about 20 inch or 500 millimeter diameter um, optics um, to re in dark skies to really start to get in there. And then if you add like a UHC or maybe even H beta filter, you can start to see kind of those tendrils um, that are on M1. Uh, visually, I've seen that in a 28-inch uh, telescope. They were faint, but you could start to see kind of the, that cage, you know, looking structure that sits around the actual nebula, um, which is really kind of cool. Uh, imaging, it it's good in color. It's good in narrowband. I've seen some really interesting stuff done in narrowband. It's pretty forgiving both ways, and it's nice because it doesn't have a lot of that really faint extension coming off of it. So your mileage may vary with it, but it's somewhat of a forgiving target. It's a lot smaller than people think, especially if you're using, you know, wide field optics. It's going to be small. Um, so I had to crop on this picture. Um, this was taken with the Esprit 150 at 1,000 millimeters, and it still was small so i still had to crop in but um there's some really cool detail in there um it's not that difficult to do in light polluted skies but darker skies help visually imaging wise the biggest challenge i feel like it is with m1 is just it's smaller than most people think another one um these are some of my favorite. I love planetary nebulas. Uh, I just think they're really kind of neat. Uh, Abel 12, which is called the hidden gem. Um, this one is a tiny little planetary that's basically hidden in plain sight um, and very, very easy uh, to find. Uh, it's about just under 7,000 light years away. Um, you can do it in dark skies. You're going to need an oxygen three filter to really pop it out because the bright star that it's next to is naked eye. Um, so there's a fair amount of glare. It almost looks like a reflection because um, it's close enough to the star that it might be taken as just a reflection in your optics uh, because of it. But when you actually image it, it's this little blue ball just hanging off of the star. It's actually behind, you know, several thousand light years behind the star. Um, but it's a fun one to go after because you have that contrast between this bright star and the nebula itself. Um, let me see if I can actually find the name of the star. It's right, should be right here. <laughs> yeah, 61 Orion uh, is basically the, the star that it's near. It's right in the bend in the upper arm of the constellation. Um, but it's really easy to find it. 
because that star is naked eye visible. It's magnitude 4.3. You could probably see it from a backyard. Um, but right next to that is Abel 12, this tiny little planetary nebula. So that's a fun one to go after. Uh, that's why they call it the hidden gem because it's literally hidden in plain sight. Um, and a lot of people don't pass over that area because it's a bright star. And obviously there's a ton of other nebulas in the region um, that people are going after. But if you're looking for something small off the beaten path, that's kind of fun to go after. Um, try this one. It's probably easier than you think. Um, that goes the same with imaging. It's probably a lot easier than you think, uh, but it's kind of a cool one to go after. And that's Abel 12 uh, or the hidden gem, um, which is this little boop right there um, is what you're looking for. So that's kind of a cool one. It's not a reflection. It's a nebula. So go after it. Uh, see what you can get. I'd be curious to see what you guys could find. Um, I was almost planning to do that as the target of the month, but I felt it was a little bit too easy. The only thing difficult about it is most people don't know what's there. That's not the name of the game. But the name of the game for Totem, or the target of the month, is basically to introduce you to the really faint, obscure, challenging targets that push uh, things as much as possible. Um, so that's the name of the game. If you've never joined us for a target of the month, uh, which is called Totem, um, here's the rules of that. Uh, must be imaged by the end of the month, and you cannot use data from old data sets. You need to shoot it in the month. That's the whole point. Um, once you've completed your target uh, shot, you can email that to totem at skywatchusa.com. You must provide the name, equipment, image specifications like exposure, um, mailing address, uh, US and Canada only, I'm sorry. And we do need a fit file or a raw to analyze that you actually shot it within the month. Um, if you are in Canada, in order to get your prize there, um, you also need to provide your um, your phone number because we need that for shipping purposes. Um, but so what do you get if you've never done that before? Well, um, you get this really nifty, cool patch and mine's not here. It's not in my office at the moment. This is the 2023 totem patch. Um, every year for totem, we change the patch. So we did, uh, the end of 2022. There's not a lot of 2022 patches. I think there's less than a hundred of them. Um, so the 2022 patch is probably going to be pretty hard to find at this point. Um, so the 2023 patch, this is our new one. Um, kind of the white with the black text kind of looks cool. These are now here and they're ready to head out. Um, once we start getting all the, um, submissions for the end of this month, but this is the patch that you will be receiving. Um, these patches you can either sew on or they do have an adhesive back. So you can stick them to things if you want as well. But that's the prize that you get uh, for your submission. Uh, so um, the totem target for December 2022, of course, was the Witch Head Nebula. There was some really nice stuff in there. I tried to put everybody's in there. Um, so just some cool stuff. Uh, here's John Polly's uh, uh, shot on it. Um, there's all kinds of really nice uh, images. And the Witch Head is very cool because... It has all these really faint extensions. Um, and then it's a bit of a challenge because you do have the bright star Rigel um, right next door to it, which can kind of hinder an image sometimes because it's hard to handle the reflection of that star. Um, but you guys did a really nice job on this and we certainly thank you for uh, taking part in it. Um, we do have all of your submissions uh, for this. So all of these uh, will be heading out in the next week or so. Um, so thank you very much for all of those who took part um, in being a part of the final 2022 totem. We're going to get those patches out to you um, as soon as we can. Uh, we did run out of them uh, our first run, so we had to wait for some of them to show up. Uh, finally, We now finally have uh, those patches available. So uh, the last batch of 2022 patches is going to go out. And uh, we definitely appreciate everyone who's been a part of it. And thank you for your entries and just being a part of uh, the Totem Project altogether. Uh, so that brings us to January 2023. Uh, this is the first full year of Totem. Um, and uh, so we wanted to start that off as a little bit of a challenge. We're trying to get to the point where Totems are challenging 
They're not supposed to be easy targets, um, whether it's faint or whatever. So um, through the year, we're going to start trying to pull targets that are definitely going to push your imaging capabilities, um, especially if you're in town. We want you to be able to push, uh, push it. But the big thing for me is I also uh, want people to just start looking for targets and inspiration um, in different places. Uh, we understand that the Messier catalog and there's a lot of bright NGCs out there, but um, there's a lot of other cool things that are out there in deep space. So we want you to definitely go after it and push it and see what you can do. Uh, so that starts right off the bat um, this year, which is ARP 273, the Rose. This is an Andromeda, about 300 million light years. It's an interacting set of galaxies. Um, I'll tell you, this is not super difficult in terms of obtaining it, but it is small. Um, so this is a very heavily cropped image from the remote observatory. And it doesn't take much to get it, but it's tiny. Um, so that's going to be the uh, target of the month. Whoa, I thought we had a better shot of that. Um, that's where the, uh, that's going to go for. So uh, ARP 273, the Rose. Um, good luck to you on that. 300 million light years away. It's an Andromeda. Um, it's high in Andromeda. Um, so you have plenty of time to go out and get it. I think this was five hours worth of exposure for this um, at one by one bin. Um, so yeah, um, it's a challenge and that's the whole point, but I, I know you guys can do it. I've had some friends do it um, before, even from in town, it is doable, but it's small. So go out there, give it a shot. Time to dive off the deep end of the deep, deep galaxies. Uh, to get you ready for Virgo and the springtime constellations. So I'm going to have to come up with some weird ones for that. But anyway, uh, that is your target of the month uh, for January 2023. Good luck, and I look forward um, and see that. Can you target the rose through an eyepiece in to zoom in? Um, I don't know what you're asking, but uh, I can show you where 273 is, ARP 273. Uh, so this is where ARP-273 actually sits in the sky. Um, here's Andromeda, there's Triangulum, and then Perseus. So it's kind of sitting almost straight overhead um, right after it gets dark. So you have plenty of time to, to catch it. Um, but that's where that's going to be. I need to try and see it visually. Um, I've never done it. I know my 28 is probably going to be the tool of choice to do that. But um, yeah, so that's ARP 273. Oh, I'm, there we go. So there you guys go. There's the galaxy there. Um, if you want to know more about the Totem uh, project, you can go to skywatcherusa.com, go to media, hit target of the month, and then all the rules are there, all the information. There's the 2022 patch, there's 2023. Um, and then here's all the list of targets that we've done in the past. If you ever want to go back and stretch your legs to try and find some really weird stuff, um, we keep them up there. Um, but yeah, good luck to you and really hope you guys uh, have a good time with that. There's another question. I belong to an astronomy club. If I personally collect data with the club's equipment, can that? Sure, why not? All you have to do is just capture the data. I don't really think it matters where it comes from but it, you need to capture the data but what equipment you use whether you own the equipment or not is kind of irrelevant um honestly so but good luck to you on all of that um and that is the january 2023 uh totem target uh, if you like what you see here at the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, please hit the subscribe button. Email us if you have any ideas for future What's Up webcast episodes. Uh, that pretty much wraps up the January night skies. I know there's some questions there. I'll get to you guys in just a second. Next week, we're going to go over our 2022 products, everything that we released in 2022. We're going to do an overview just talking about what's what, what we brought out, um, and a little bit about them. Of course, we've probably done direct episodes for all of them, but it's just kind of a reminder and heads up refresher of what all came out in the last year because there was quite a lot of stuff 
that we came out with. Um, and speaking of stuff, if you want to buy anything, you can actually go to our website. Um, we have a shopping cart set up there now, so you can actually buy directly from the Skywatcher website. So let's say you want to buy something cool. Uh, maybe your Evo Star Refractor that you've always wanted. You can actually go there and hit Add to Cart. You can buy right through the website now. Um, we have our own Add to Cart. Of course, we always recommend working with our dealers as well. Whoever you feel comfortable with, um, there's multiple ways of buying Skywatcher stuff so you can get out and start observing the universe. Uh, real quick, I think there was another question here. Should I buy a Skymax 102 AZGTI or a FlexTube 150 Heritage Virtuoso? uh what are we observing uh deep sky and planetary observations personally i would go with the flex tube 150p um because it's more aperture um you're going from a four inch to a six inch um and we have our own app that we can actually do some calculations on you can get it on your app store it's called scope wizard um and we can actually take a difference like grass comparison so let's do six inch versus four inch. So the difference between a SkyMax 102 and a FlexTube 150, um, that's a six inch versus a four inch telescope. You have 2.3 times more light on the six inch. So your ability to look through deep sky objects is much better um, with the, the larger aperture telescope. And then of course on the planets, you're able to push the magnification more because there's more light grasp to keep the image looking nice and bright and detailed before the image breaks down as opposed to a 102 Mac. So, or 102 telescope. So I personally, between the 102 AZGTI and a 150, I would pick the 150 just mainly because of the aperture. So, all right. Well, that's pretty much it i don't think there's any more questions out there uh if you have anything else you can always email us at info at skywatchusa.com uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us this morning uh please have a good weekend go out there do some observing don't freeze um and yeah have a good weekend take care everyone all right clear skies see you guys bye